0: It is so good to be together, to be able to celebrate uh, the resurrection this way with one another after a couple of years where we weren't able to gather in this this same sort of way. Uh, this is our, our second uh, Easter service this morning, or our third if you went to the sunrise service uh, with, with JR. Um, uh, and and, and I, I just can't... I'm, it's so good to be with you. It's, it's hearing your voices, hearing you sing, having the brass here. Thank you all for being here, and um, thank you for coming to church this morning. A few years ago, I found myself standing in a place that I never really thought I would be standing. My uncle, he invited me on a trip of a lifetime to go to the Holy Land, uh, which ended with four days of us alone to kind of wander through Jerusalem by ourselves. I met with a group of Benedictine monks and walked the Via De La Rosa with them, which is the the stations of the cross. And the the last five stations of the cross end in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is kind of a really large compound. There's multiple denominations that actually see their role as taking care of this space. And the space includes the place where Jesus was crucified, as well as many believe, where he was buried. The last station of the cross is the tomb itself. It's it's pretty small, maybe three or four people could fit inside. And the Benedictine monks, they, they kind of ushered us in as we went, two or three people at a time. And I, I walked in with a dad and a son who was maybe 11 or 12 years old. Dad was in tears, just overcome with emotion. And I looked down at the son and he kind of looked up and he said, And we were inside for maybe 20, 30 seconds, and then we were we were ushered out, and, and it was odd. It was odd. I expected so much more. The, the the truth is, I related more with the son than I did with the dad in, in tears, and I and I think I think it was really because of how quick it was it was hurried i mean i I spent time on the sea of galilee and i was able to be there by myself and and sit and reflect I, i spent time in the garden of gethsemane and i was able to sit there and reflect and be there and those had a huge impact on how i understand the story of scripture but for whatever reason i expected more i expected more as i look back on those those few seconds and as I read all the accounts of Jesus' friends who stepped into the empty tomb, I can't help but think that we have a lot to learn from the way that they respond, from the way that they approach the empty tomb, the way that they approach the resurrection. Luke, he tells the story like this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Frederick Buechner uh, is, is one of the, the more well-known 20th century Presbyterian pastors. He's 95 years old now, he's, he's still alive now, and in addition to the sermons that he's written, he's written all kinds of literature, fiction, nonfiction, poetry, prose, a long form, everything in between. He's published over 30 books, was a Pulitzer Prize finalist, and has eight honorary degrees. He's one of those pastors and writers that, that my generation of pastors kind of look to and say, how in the world did he do it all? How, how did he write it all? Where did he find the time? How did he do it all? We, we, we kind of look to him and say, hey, he, he must have had it all together. But that's not his whole story. When he was 10 years old... His dad, who who once was a a brilliant honor student at Princeton, became an alcoholic and ended up taking his own life. As he grew up, Frederick spent his life trying to make sense of it. His childhood was trying to make sense of this. He created a habit of lying about how how his dad had died, saying that he had heart trouble. It was just too much. It was just too much for him to talk about. Then, years later, Frederick himself was at Princeton, and he saw that he was heading down the same sort of path that his dad had gone down. A friend invited him to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, and he began to see his story in a new way. He began to see his struggles in a new way. He began to see his pain in a new way. Eventually, he wrote this. The worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to last thing. The last thing is the best. It's the power from on high that comes down into the world, that wells up from the rock bottom worst of the world like a hidden spring. Can you believe it? The last best thing is the laughing deep in the hearts of the saints, sometimes our hearts even. Yes, you are terribly loved and forgiven. Yes, you are healed all as well yes you are terribly loved and forgiven yes you are healed all as well if you hear anything this morning hear that you are terribly loved and forgiven the worst thing about the world isn't the isn't the last thing because the worst thing has already been defeated It's a great reminder for any of us who are going through difficulties today or who have gone through difficulties and are trying to make sense of how they fit in with the grand story, how they fit in with with what's happening in the world and how they relate to Easter. And though there are plenty of ways to respond to the resurrection, plenty of ways to respond to that empty tomb, the the women in the gospel of Luke, they give us four ways that I'd like us to focus on uh, for the next couple minutes together. They show up at Jesus' tomb sometime around 4 a.m., about the time my alarm went off this morning to go to the sunrise service. And it's important to remember that they, they didn't show up really expecting anything dramatic. They, they, they didn't show up looking for anything in particular. They, they were going to the, the tomb to take care of their friend. They, they, were, they were doing what was culturally appropriate for their time. They are carrying spices with them, going to embalm the body of their good friend. Nothing more, nothing less. I I think this is a great lesson for us here when it comes to expectations. The truth is, whether or not we admit it, we all have expectations. When you arrived at church this morning, you had in your mind a way that today was going to look. You have some sort of expectations. Some of our expectations about different things in life are small. Others are more significant. Take a moment and think about how you respond when whatever those expectations might be aren't met. How do you respond when your expectations aren't met? And how do you respond when those expectations are exceeded? as the the women approach the tomb in the moonlight they can kind of make out the shape of it and, and they couldn't have expected what they found they see that the stone that once covered the mouth of the tomb had been rolled away and we're told then that Luke writes that they they wonder they they wonder This isn't the sort of wondering you do when you're excited about something. This isn't the sort of wondering that you you do when you're full of anticipation. It's the sort of wondering that happens when you're perplexed or you're at a loss for words. The sort of wondering you do when you get that phone call about a friend who you haven't seen in years and hear that they went off the deep end and did something atrocious. The, the sort of wondering you do when you've made plans for how your life would look and then you get to this place and you realize, this isn't where I thought I would be. How did I get here? It's a sort of wondering that can be downright debilitating. The sort that makes you think, what could I have done different? What, what could I have done to keep this thing, whatever this thing is, from happening? Their response teach us, teaches us that it's okay to be perplexed by the empty tomb. It's okay to, to wonder why we don't feel the same way that everyone says we should when it comes to Easter. The, the first response to the empty tomb isn't shouts of praises. It isn't the songs that we've been singing this morning. It's confusion. It's what in the world happened It just didn't make sense. So if you're in that place this morning where you're not so sure what to make of this whole Easter thing, you might even doubt parts of the story. You might doubt the whole of the story. Know that you're in good company. The the women that showed up, what what is happening? It didn't make sense to them either. And, And that led to fear. Two men who are gleaming like, like lightning show up. Uh, this is the same sort of same sort of description that Luke gives when Jesus goes up the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and they're given a, a picture of the divine Christ, uh, and a glimpse of the divine Christ in the transfiguration. The, these two gleaming men, they, they try to, to calm the women, like, like that's going to work. And they say, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is risen. Luke writes that the women bowed down and they they put their faces to the ground. They can't help but turn away. The Gospel of Mark tells us something similar. The the two Marys, they leave the tomb trembling. And Matthew writes that as the Marys are on their way to share the news of the resurrection, Jesus greets them with the kind of common greeting along the day. He, He greets them while they're going to share the news and He just says, Hi. And follows it with, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's easier said than done, but also the most common command Jesus gave to his disciples. One of my favorite lines about fear comes from a pastor down in L.A. named Erwin McManus. Um, And and years ago he said this. He said, Fear is an emotion that is awakened by impending danger, evil, etc. The problem is, We live in the etc. Fear is an emotion that is awakened by impending danger, evil, etc. The problem is we live in the etc. We can only imagine what was running through the minds of the women at the tomb. They didn't need an etc. to be afraid. Jesus' body was gone. And now there's these two random men standing there telling them that it's all going to be okay. I mentioned that that don't be afraid command is the one that Jesus says most often to his disciples. And though there are a lot of reasons he repeated it as often as he did, I tend to believe that one of them is because getting over fear takes time. It is a process. A child isn't going to suddenly get over the fear of the dark simply because the parent says you have nothing to be afraid of. Someone afraid of heights We're afraid of public speaking doesn't get over that fear simply by being told to get over it. It takes time. It takes experience. Jesus said it over and over again, this do not be afraid to instill trust, to calm hearts, to calm nerves and to prepare his disciples for what was coming with the resurrection and what was coming after the resurrection. But if you're in the place this morning where this whole Easter thing is just kind of, I don't know, off maybe a little scary, know that it's okay to respond to the resurrection with discomfort. The women, they they wonder and they're afraid, and and, and then they respond by remembering. After they're asked why they're looking for the living among the dead and, and told that Jesus was risen, they're invited to remember his words, to remember what he said That he said the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. There's three times, three times in Luke's Gospel where during Jesus' earthly ministry he shares this with them. One of them happens in Luke chapter 9 verse 22. Right after Peter declares that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, he talks about, Jesus talks about taking up his cross. And tells his disciples that they will have to as well. Then a little later in Luke 9.44. While everyone is making a big deal about all of the miracles. He says the son of man will be delivered into the hands of men. And then Luke chapter 18. Saying nearly the exact same words that we read at at the tomb. We're told that the meaning of it all was hidden from his followers. A while ago. One of my friends here at WPC mentioned that whenever he reads a mystery novel, he reads the beginning, first chapter, maybe the first two chapters, and then the end. Anybody else do that? Read the beginning and the end, and and then you can read the rest of the story because you know what happens at the end. And his rationale is he he can enjoy the rest of the book. He, He can enjoy the rest of the book. He knows where it's going. Aubrey knows where it's going. I just said his name. He, he, he knows where it's going so he can enjoy it, what's leading up to the conclusion. Well, at least to some degree, most of us approach the Bible in this way. We know that Jesus is risen. So it's easier to go through some of the more painful parts of the story, the, the, the parts of Holy Week that we, we sometimes just kind of jump through from Palm Sunday to, to Easter. But that doesn't mean we should forget the difficult parts. Maybe one of the responses we have to Easter is remembering the whole of the story. It's taking some time to remember the whole of the story. Lastly, the women respond by sharing what they experienced. They, they, they share what they experienced, even though they didn't have all the answers. It, you notice that they don't like stop at the library. There wouldn't have been a library. Stop at whatever they would stop at to, to try to do some research before they get to the disciples. They run to tell them, even though they don't have all the answers. They run to the eleven. They share it all and are met with all kinds of skepticism. They're even told that they are hysterical. The women who are at the empty tomb, they, they seem to come to belief somewhat swiftly. The rest are much, much slower. Well, except for Peter, that is. Something stirs in him, and he runs to the tomb and responds with the same sort of wonder that the women had. It wasn't quite doubt. Remember, that wonder isn't quite doubt. But I don't think it was quite yet belief either. The lesson in this response is to never grow tired of sharing the good news of Easter, even as we have questions about it. Regardless if we're met with with an, an interest like Peter's, or with complete skepticism, that we can respond to the Easter story simply by, by sharing it. The women arrived at the empty tomb with, with little expectation. Remember, they were just going through the motions of taking care of their friends. Likely distraught, likely still in tears, and in the midst of it all, they respond. We have the opportunity to respond Today as well. We can respond with wonder. We can respond with fear. We can respond by remembering the story, by connecting the dots, the big picture, or by sharing the experience. There are a lot of ways that we can respond. We can respond with loud shouts of He has risen, (laughs) or in quiet reflection. But in one way or another, The Easter story requires a response. Doesn't mean we have to have it all together. Doesn't mean we have to have all the answers. I know that I don't. May our lives as individuals and collectively as a church family continue to be shaped as we respond to what God did through the empty tomb. Amen.